Psalm 40. We're moving along in the imprecatory psalms. Psalm 40. And we've been looking at several of these over the last months. Uh, The word imprecatory means to call down uh, uh, like a curse on someone. That's how it's often used in English anyways. The idea with the imprecatory psalms is that it is a a prayer of deliverance and often also a prayer against the enemies of God. And so there are several of these throughout the Psalms. And we'll find, as you've seen and as I've learned as well, that often it's just a few verses in a Psalm that are imprecatory by nature. In this Psalm, it's the latter uh, verses that has a mention of the enemy, and, and we'll get to that eventually. But there's a whole bunch of other stuff that is just fantastic in these psalms. And, and there are psalms that I, over the years, for whatever reason, have neglected in my preaching. Now, I have preached on some of them. I have preached on portions of these psalms. And I'm in the psalms regularly, as you folks know. And now we're going on eight years here. And uh, as, I, as I look at these, though, there are whole beautiful sections of these psalms that sometimes we just glance over. Um, if anything, we, we might read them through the course of a year, uh, but there's some neat things. This particular psalm, Psalm 40, is also considered a messianic psalm. Now, what is a, what is a messianic psalm? Throw that out as a question. Talks about Christ, Talks about Christ right. Messiah or Christ, uh, the, the title, anointed one. Um, and there are several psalms that are messianic in nature. Jews, even today, would tell you that deals with the coming Messiah. Now, the difference is that they would not hold the ones that are still following Judaism, uh, hold to the first coming of Messiah. They're still looking for a Messiah, and he is coming, and it is Jesus. He will reveal himself to them, and as uh, the book of Zechariah says, they will look on him whom they pierced. And so that's a real clear psalm and I mean, a promise from the Old Testament that the Messiah that is coming is going to be one who has been pierced. And so we know that Jesus was pierced for our sin and for our transgression. Anyways, this psalm is an imprecatory psalm. It is also a psalm of David. And as you read through this, there are uh, portions of this psalm that deal with well, uh, different stages of David's life. Um, as the commentaries indicate, David probably had written this during his difficult exile years, or even perhaps later, um, earlier in his, minute, in his reign, but later a- after that. Um, it's also um, a psalm that has a prayer for mercy, and you'll, you'll see that as we go down through it. And it can be broken up into these pictures, and we have an outline here I have tonight, but verses 1 to 5 is a picture of deliverance during the dangerous exile years. And I'll, come, I'll pull the uh, outline up for you here, but it'll be a little different. Verses 6 to 10 describe his dedication as a new king, and then verses 11 to 17 record his prayer for personal forgiveness, and then verses 12... Uh, coupled with Psalm 38-39, are of uh, victory over his enemies, or a part of the imprecatory part of that. And we will we'll see that. This is also uh, repeated somewhat in verses found in Psalm 70. And there are verses in this psalm that are also in the New Testament. And so it's a very important psalm. And so we're going to look at it. 
you want an outline, and we'll go down through these as we study it. Tonight we're only going to probably get to ver- the, the first one here, but I'll show you all the outline anyways. This comes from Warren Wiersbe's notes again. Um, praise God for all he has done. That's verses 1 to 5, and that's what you see focused on in those verses. Part 2 of that, or point 2, give God all that he asks. And that's verses 6 to 10. And then last, the last part of this psalm was trust God for all that remains. And that breaks up to a really good outline of this whole chapter. All right, well, we're going to cover that first one, praise God for all he has done. And that's verses 1 to 5. And so if you have your Bibles, follow along with me. It says, I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined to me and heard my cry. He also brought me up out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock and established my steps. He has put a new song in my mouth. Praise to our God. Many will see it in fear and will trust in the Lord. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust and does not respect the proud, nor such as turn aside to lies. Many, O Lord, my God, are your wonderful works which you have done, and your thoughts toward us cannot be recounted to you in order. If I would declare and speak of them, they are more than can be numbered. Lord, we thank you for your word tonight. And as we open it up, I pray, O God, that you would open it to our hearts and minds and just teach us, Lord, tonight and help us to um, park ourselves in these words and dwell on them even throughout this week. And Lord, we thank you that you are the God who has done all things, and you are to be praised for all you've done. And we commit this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 1 there says, I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined to me and heard my cry. One of the things that is a recurring theme in David's uh, writings here in, in the Psalms is this idea of waiting on the Lord, and that word waiting. And that's throughout scripture. It's not just unique to David. It is really something that uh, God's people have had to do, well, right from the very beginning. We've had to learn to wait on the Lord. And much of life is waiting, right? Uh, we wait for all kinds of things. And it seems like in the end, it it's all passes rather quickly. But during those intervening years, there's a lot of times waiting. And much of that is in God's waiting room, isn't it? And we see that with uh, this psalm. He says, I waited patiently for the Lord. The word in the Hebrew is where it's translated waited patiently. It's actually just one word in the Hebrew. And it means to wait with hope. And, and I like that, that we wait with hope. David waited with hope. He waited years before he would be, uh, the time he was anointed or chosen as the next king, to the time he would actually be on the throne and in control of his nation. And it was a long process in that. He waited. And I would say that that's always the case. In Psalm 25, verse 5, he writes there, Lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. On you I wait all the day. On you I wait all the day. You know, I I think that's probably one of the areas that Christians and believers uh, get in in trouble in that we don't wait in time we don't wait all the day long for the lord or wait with hope we get ahead of him and we set our affections on other things and sometimes we get ahead of his his plan for us as well Uh, lord teach me to wait right 
Psalm 27 verse 14 says, Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage. Um, Those things go hand in hand. I really think more than ever we need to be praying, God, teach me to wait, but help me to be of good courage. Don't let me get discouraged, right? Uh, And and that's so easy to to find ourselves... um, in the slow lane right just moping around and saying, oh I, I can't face the day i can't face this this problem in my life this thing that's come about or whatever it is or the multitude of things that sometimes pile on us and we need to be praying for courage uh, too often we pray for other things and i think first and foremost we ought to be praying give us courage because it's courage in this day where there's great evil and many fearful things and we need to see people who are not afraid we're not driven by our fear but rather we're driven by our patiently waiting for the lord in the midst of that he shall strengthen your heart and then he says it again wait i say on the lord all right psalm 37 7 we were here last time or in that psalm anyways rest in the lord and wait patiently for him there it is again wait with hope do not fret because of him who prospers in his way because of the man who brings wicked schemes to pass and i would dare say that as i look at the news and i turn the news on in the morning and then sometimes watch it again somewhere in the middle of the day and then at the end of the day it's probably the worst thing i should do because it takes my eyes off the off the lord i don't think we should have our head in the sand and and not know what's going on around us but it's easy to worry about all this stuff that's going on. You see the chart that shows the price of gas going like this. And, and you see uh, uh, you know, any retirement funds you might have going like this. And everything else in between. And then talk about just the moral issues and the decay and the decadence that's uh, on the scene today. And all the things that are going on. And it's enough to fret. But don't. Do not fret because of him who prospers in his way. And write, rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Part of that waiting patiently is an active kind of waiting. Uh, I don't know about you, but sometimes when we think of someone who is just kind of waiting on the Lord, you kind of uh, think of someone just sitting on a couch there with an angel next to him or something, just sitting there all holy and waiting, right? No, no action in their life. They're just sitting there or whatever it is. You can use your imagination. But... The reality of the waiting process, and even in David's life, he was very active during those years. Some of that was him running and hiding and taking refuge and having to fight battles. And he was doing many, many different things during those years. Um, he, he didn't s- sit still at all when he was on the run and he was moving. Uh, I think that's the same for the Christian. We don't just park ourselves to wait on the Lord. But we wait with hope, but it's an active kind of waiting. We should be busy about his business. I think the the best New Testament uh, equivalent to this is seen in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us sit on the couch with endurance, right? Is that what it says? No. Run. Yeah, let us run with endurance. There's movement. We're, we're headed to a goal. We're going forward. The race that is set before us, right? Run with endurance. The race that is set before us. And that endurance is a patient kind of running. 
This is who we look to, right? Looking onto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And even though Jesus is seated in the heavens, it's his rightful place. It is a place that indicates a throne that is firmly fixed and a place that where he is seated and that he has finished his work. Jesus doesn't stop either, does he? He is always interceding on our behalf. He is with us until the end of the age, right? He is always there. And he is also a savior of action. <clears throat> we see also um, Psalm 31.3. I wrote that one down. Uh, you have the during this time that David writes this, most likely it was a time when he was crying out to God because Saul, who did not want to step aside, even though his throne had been handed to another, um, he cried out. David cried out to the Lord. Psalm 31.3 says, For you are my rock and my fortress. Therefore, for your namesake, lead me and guide me. And we see that that's the, the prayer of David when he was moving, right? He was going forward in that. Verses 2 and 3 of Psalm 40. He also brought me up out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock and established my steps. He has put a new song in my mouth. Praise to our God. Many will see it in fear and will trust in the Lord. And as we look at this, we, we see how... Um, the word for pit, by the way, it's the Hebrew word Sheol, uh, which indicates the grave. All right, that's often how Sheol is used as the grave. Sometimes in the Old English, in the King James, it's translated hell. Uh, it's the abode of the dead, is what it is, the grave. And here David says, "You brought me out of death, that kind of pit." Now. He was a sinner, and of course we look at that in our own life. All of us have sinned, and we are dead in our trespasses and sins. And unless we are rescued out of that pit, we will remain there. doesn't mean that you're not still able to think and move and do things, because sinners are very good at, at engaging in sin. But that's our position. We're in the pit, and you're not going to get out. And it just gets worse. The grave leads not only that place of death but leads to eternal death separation from god in hell in a lake of fire and that uh, and again when he says he also brought me up out of a horrible pit out of the miry clay that's the the muddy clay out of the muck and set my feet upon a rock and established my steps all those things indicate that a sovereign God is at work. And he puts a new song in my mouth. That's what he says. There was an old country preacher who used that Psalm 40, verses 2 and 3, and his points were this. God brought him up, God stood him up, and God tuned him up. And I like that, right? God brought him up, God stood him up, and God tuned him up. And that's exactly what he's done with you and me. If you're... If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, he's established you. He took you out of the, the horrible pit, out of the miry clay. He put your feet on solid rock. And he put a new song in your, in your heart, in your mouth. Good thing, isn't it? I'm glad for that. 
And by the way, that new song, I I think it's, uh, again, a heart that has some passion in it towards something has a way of wanting to sing about those things, right? You think of all the love songs people have written over the years and continue to write, and there'll be new ones this year or whatever. And if you have a love or a passion in your heart, or maybe it's something like an anger in your heart, somebody would write about that. Um, But when the Lord is in your heart, and that's where a song comes from, you know what? He puts that on your lips. Put a new song in my mouth. Psalm 5, verse 3 says that. My voice you shall hear in the morning. O Lord, in the morning I will direct it to you and I will look up. Good thing. Look up in the morning. Psalm 33, verse 20. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. Psalm 38, verse 15. For in you, O Lord, I hope and you will hear, O O Lord, my God. And... We, we see that that is what he's going to do. In, in Hebrews chapter 6, in, um, in this as well, I'm just, I, okay. And it, we desire that each one of you show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope until the end. This is that patiently waiting and that way of uh, continuing to, you know, press on. He says this, that you do not become sluggish. But imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promise. There's a twofold um, exhortation there. Is this that we need to first continue in that diligence of the full assurance of hope. I would put it this way. That as you go through life, it is still a challenge to live as a Christian with hope. And there are people that lose hope. And here the writer says, to the full assurance of hope until the end. I think of Ray Pritchard's uh, ministry where he calls, keep believing. Keep believing. And, you know, on the surface of that, you kind of, um, those of us that believe in eternal security, when you say, keep believing in Jesus, that's how he ends his podcast, uh, usually says, that, you know, talks about that, keep believing in Jesus. And, and I get thinking, well, of course, we're saved. We're always, we're always going to think about Jesus. But the reality is this, that even for Jesus' own, his children, we, we can forget about him. And the things of life crowd in, and you find your heart not firmly believing. Doesn't mean you're not saved. It doesn't mean that he won't bring you to heaven. In whatever state he finds us in, if you're one of his, he's going to come and he's going to have you for sure. But I will say it this way. He wants us in full assurance as the days shorten, as that time draws near, to even be firmer in our faith until the end. And he says that you do not become sluggish. Listen, it's easy to become like a sloth in life, isn't it? To become lazier and lazier and lazier. That is something that I... um, I can struggle with, and I mean that, in that I find there are some things that I do, and out of familiarity of doing those things, whether it's preaching, other things like that, I don't study as hard, or I don't pray over these things, or those kind of areas, and God has to stop me and say, oh, listen, Jack, you still need me, and I, I, you need me more than ever, and I know that, because I do need him more than ever. 
in that. And then he says, imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Who are those? You know, I'll throw that as a question. Who do we imitate? Christ. That's the, that's the best one for sure. Certainly, he was the one who went to the cross, right? But in the book of Hebrews, we have other, like we read Hebrews 12.1, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. What witnesses is he talking about? Yeah, all these people of faith. So, you know, people like Abraham and Sarah and Moses, and, and, and you go right down through all that whole list of people. And he says, imitate them. Now, what is, you know, I think about that. Discipleship, and that's a term that's used in, in producing, as we say, followers of Christ, discipling people. And there's an aspect that we disciple people to Christ, and he draws them, and they, he saves them, but as a human instrument, hopefully you're involved in, in evangelizing, and someone comes to faith in Christ, and it doesn't stop there. The, the disciple needs to go further. And someone said this to me years ago, I said, you only can disciple someone as far as you yourself are discipled, or are a disciple, probably is a better way of saying it. If you're not committed in certain areas, you cannot get others to commit in those areas. That's scary. And you say, Lord, I need to have my heart stirred in that. And if anybody's going to ever come along and imitate Jack Karen, okay, and I don't seek anybody with that kind of t-shirt, I'm an imitator of Jack Karen. that's the worst thing you could ever do. But, but it, you know, honestly, it, to come and say, I want what he has, then he better have the real thing, you know? And I'll, you put your name there, right, as a Christian. Don't become sluggish, but imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. And we should. We should take those things. We've been studying in the life of Abraham, and you know what? We learned the things that we shouldn't do with Abraham, but listen, there's a lot of things we should follow and pattern our life on. Verse 3, he has put a new song in my mouth, and... Uh, again, the psalmist throughout uh, talks about that aspect of praise and sending forth our praises. Psalm eighteen forty nine. Therefore, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the Gentiles, among the nations, and sing praises to your name. I think the worst thing that could ever be done is to try to silence God's people. Um, I thought of that when we were faced with the COVID restrictions and when the powers that be in our world said you can't sing whoo that was a that was an area we're not going to cross i mean like i i don't really think that you can that's a that's a non-negotiable to me because so much of the bible talks about a song that we have and the singing of praises and the speaking forth of praises now you might say, well, how does that look? You know, can we do that remotely? Can we do that, you know, as small groups? Can we do that with masks on? Whatever. I'm not going to go there with all that. But, but when someone said, no singing in churches, you can't do that. Because if these be silent, then the rocks and the hills will cry out, right? And so I was greatly encouraged when Christians sang. And sadly, there were some that, that chose not to. Psalm twenty-two, twenty-two. 
I will declare your name to my brethren. In the midst of the assembly, I will praise you. That's in the house of God, right? We come together, we sing his praises, not only among the nations, but also among each other. Psalm 33.3, sing to him a new song. Play skillfully with a shout of joy. Play skillfully. Uh, you know, you, you have the, the verse that says, make a joyful noise unto the Lord. That's the limit of my musical abilities most often. But I am so appreciative of those who can skillfully play an instrument and bring glory to God. And think of all the instruments that are out there to do that. I mean, think about it. All kinds of things. And uh, it's not an area I ever developed in my own uh, life. No one challenged me probably to do that early on. But I am thankful for those that can play the piano or pick up a flute or can pick up a guitar or play the drums you know drums can bring order and can bring direction to things uh, all those different and those are all areas stringed instruments percussion instruments sounds of like bells other things are all things in scripture right and we see that god and and when it's in harmony wow what a beautiful thing all right Psalm 40, verses 4 and 5. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust and does not respect the proud, nor such as turn aside to lies. Many, O Lord, my God, are your wonderful works which you have done, and your thoughts toward us cannot be recounted to you in order. If I would declare and speak of them, they are more than can be numbered. And, you know, David here is again just pointing us to the, uh, the reality that, that everything that God does, every thought that God has, would be more than we could ever verbalize, more than we could ever write about. And that's true, because how can an infinite God be contained into something that is finite, like a writing of mine or, or yours or a song? Can't be done. Everything that God does, everything, Many, O oh Lord, my God, are your wonderful works. And he's doing all these wonderful things. Some things we're aware of, some things we're not. Most we're not aware of, I would dare say. He says here, Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, and does not respect the proud, nor such as turn aside to lies. A lot could be said with that right there. The, be careful with, with what you revere. Really, if you're revering pride, whether it's your own or someone else's, it's a dangerous slope. He says, blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust. That that speaks volumes right there. The phrase, nor such as turn aside to lies, um, the word for lies, it is the word kazeb, and it means to lie, but it actually also uh, the word is used in connection with things that are false like idols. So he says, who does not put his faith in idols or in falsehoods. It's actually translated that way in Psalm 4, verse 2. How long, O you sons of men, will you turn my glory to shame? How long will you love worthlessness and seek falsehood? And I think it's the NIV that says false gods. And that's the, the, the word that's used there. It's the idea of seeking something and worshiping it as something false, a lie. And it's far easier to worship a lie than it is to worship the true God. 
Uh, and you say, well, how, why is that? Well, I, you know, I wish I knew the simple answer for that. But it's because we can contain an idol. We can make it, for example. We can shape it to our images that we like. But you can't take an infinite holy God and put him in a box or in a shrine or in a building and worship him that way or contain his worship that way. You might be in a building worshiping him. um, But I would dare say that our things that we idolize in this world made of wood and stone and whatever else uh, metals listen they it's just a that's a, a blasphemy before God to say this is even similar to God is absolute heresy and it's worthless got to be careful with that well, I'm not going to go into the next section. I'm going to probably end there. Uh, but by the way, this last uh, part of what we, we said here, many, O Lord, my God, are your wonderful works, which you have done, and your thoughts toward us cannot be recounted to you in order. If I would declare and speak of them, they are more than can be numbered. And and I, I was just end on this, thinking about that, that, you know, how far could you count in your lifetime, let's say, uh, probably pretty far, although a lot less than what we spend in our federal deficit and all that stuff that's gone. But uh, those numbers that, you know, we if we even started counting now for e- eternity from here on, not looking back, but for here on, you still would not be able to match those numbers to all the things that God has done and his wonderful works in that And in eternity, we're going to get to learn about some of that stuff and no more. Well, next time we're going to look at give God all that he he asks. And uh, that's verses 6 to 10. And we might get a little further than that on the next one. Father, thank you for your word. And we thank you for, again, all your wonderful works. Your work of salvation. Your work of just sustaining us in this life right now. Thank you, O God, for all these things and for just even giving us our daily bread. Lord, you are mighty in that. Lord, thank you for being able to sustain us for all eternity because of Jesus Christ and his wonderful work. And we commit this to you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.